Ashley Brock Reed. I am Palmer's book, Heart of Stone, Chapter 8. Keely couldn't manage a single word. Boone caught her hand and tugged her into the community center with him. Should I ask where Clark is? She felt as if her feet were quite on the floor. No need. I didn't see your car. That's because I didn't drive it here. I bought one of the trucks and parked it out back. I doubt Clark even noticed. He didn't. She looked around. Is Winnie here? He hesitated. No. <laughs> she stopped walking so that he had to stop too. He looked down at her. Appreciably, his dark eyes lingering on the way the emerald green dress better slender her pretty body. Green suits you, he mused. When he didn't come, she promised. Kill Raven said he wasn't coming, he replied. She said it was useless, so that meant she didn't even like parade around the dance floor. She cocked her head and looked up at him. Maybe she has a point. He lifted an eyebrow and looked weak. Maybe she does. She felt suddenly uneasy. She looked around again for Misty this time. She's not here. Plus, she looked back up into his amused eyes. I came alone, he told her. I mentioned that I wasn't buying diamonds for a casual date, and she took offense. I heard. Oh, was Clark impressed? Yes, but don't count on it lasting any length of time. She had, once he's alone with her, he'll forget everything he said. No doubt, he pursed his lips. Do you dance, Miss Welsh? Her heart skipped it the way he said it. He had no date. It ain't come anyway. And he was looking at her if he could eat her. That was thrilling, even if she couldn't hope for anything more. I do, she replied. She sounded breathless, took the false stone on her purse, laid them on a the table next to where Caghart and his wife Tess were sitting. Do you mind watching them? He asked. Tess grinned. Not if I get to try on that stall. Help yourself, Keely invited with a big grin. Big grin. Tess wound around her neck and struck a pose. She batted her eyelids at her husband, her blue eyes twinkling in her frame of red hair. I'm not buying you a dead fox. Cag informed her hotly. Keely recalled that Cag had watched the pig movie and gave up eating pork. She wondered if he'd recently seen any other animated animal films. Tess looked up at her and grinned. There was this fox hound movie. Will you stop? Cag muttered, looking all flushed. I like animals. Tess went over and kissed him. So do I, but this animal has probably been deceased for a number of years. He burst out laughing and kissed her back. Boone tugged Keely toward the dance floor. He slid one arm around her waist and pulled her close, easing his fingers in between hers. She stumbled with nerves as he propelled her expertly into the slow rhythm, and he laughed deep in his throat. She felt like a fox. Running for cover, her heart was racing. Her breath was stuck somewhere south of her windpipe. She barely noticed the music. She was too aware of Boone's powerful body against hers. The scent of his breath, the smell of his cologne. He made her feel weak and shaky all over. <laughs> his hands speared against her back over the soft velvet. I like this dress, he murmured at her forehead. It's very pretty, she began. I like the way it feels, he corrected. She laughed nervously. Oh, <laughs> he nuzzled her cheeks so that she lifted her eyes to Nineteen years old, he said quietly, studying her. He looked guilty. <laughs> she frowned. You know, age isn't everything. He drawled out that tired old line about it being the mileage. He threatened softly. It's true, though, she replied. He smoothed his fingers in between hers as they moved lazily to the music. You've heard from your father, haven't you? He asked suddenly. She jerked in his arms. He nodded. I thought so. You've been jumpy since you walked in the door. She felt miserable when she remembered what her father, what her mother had said about Haynes Carson's brother. She would carry the guilt for her parents' actions until she died, and Haynes was trying to look out for her, not knowing the truth. Come here. 
He stopped dancing, caught her hand, and led her out the side door onto the dark patio, where only a strip of light from the room inside showed on the stones of the flooring. Tell me what's worrying you, he coaxed. She leaned her forehead against his chest. If only she could. But Haynes was his friend. It was Jacques who called. He made threats. My father wants Mama to sell the house and give him the money. She said heavily. He's got something on her, something he can use. If she doesn't do it, she's afraid of him. What does he have on her? She groaned softly. I don't know. He told her, you know, yes, you do, Keely. He argued, searching her eyes in the dim light from the patio windows inside. Her eyes were tormented. I can't tell you. She said, it isn't my secret. His fingers crushed her chin. You can tell me anything. He said, his voice deep and soft and seductive. Anything. He made her want to tell him he was powerful and attractive. He made her blood run hot through her veins. She wanted to kiss him until the aching stopped. She couldn't tell him that, of course. She didn't have to. Boone read the subtle signs of her body and her breathing and drew a conclusion slowly so that he didn't frighten her. He bent toward her mouth. I should be shot, he whispered. His breath tasted of coffee, the exquisite fill of flesh against flesh in such an intimate way made Keeley's head spin. She'd rarely been kissed at all, and never like this. His skill was apparent, but he seemed to lose control just a little as the kiss lengthened. Then his mouth grew quickly hungry. His arms contracted and inverted her to the length of his body, bending her into his hard contour. She stiffened helplessly at the end of speed, to which he was completely unaccustomed. Boone lifted his head, surprised by her posture, by her reaction. She responded as if she'd never been held and kissed in her life, as if the demanding adore of an adult man was unknown to her, and perhaps it was. Consider what he knew of her life from Winnie's vague comments. He let her move back just a step, but he didn't let her go. It's all right, he said softly, smiling. He framed her face in his big hands and held it where he wanted it. Some gently pulled down her lower lip as he bent again. All we have to fear, he quoted aimlessly, is fear itself. It was different this time. He didn't demand. He teased her lips, brushing them in brief little caresses that made her want more. His hands moved back her hair, then moved down her back to the curve of her hips and coaxed her closer. She shivered at the contact, and for an instant his mouth became demanding. When she stiffened, he relented at once. It was like a silent duel, she thought. Fascinated, he advanced, and when she hesitated, he withdrew. It was as if he knew the difficulty, she felt as if he was aware of how new and frightening these sensations were to her. He calmed her, coaxed her, until she began to relax and stopped fighting the slow, steady crush of his mouth. That's it, he whispered when she sank gently against him. Just don't fight it, don't fight me. I won't hurt you. She knew that, but it was still difficult to give herself over to someone who didn't know about her past. She was terrified not of his exploring hands, but of what he might find if he persisted. So when she felt his fingertips teasing just around the edge of her breast, she jumped back and she jumped and pulled back. She expected an explosion. Once, just once, she'd given in to temptation in her adult years and agreed to go out with a salesman who came through town. He grabbed her in the car and she jerked away from him. He'd been furious, snapping out about girls who teased, and then he forcefully run his hand over her shoulder and her breast. She could never forget the look of utter horror on his face. He pushed her away from him. He took her home without a single word. He hadn't even looked at her when she got out of the car. It wasn't as bad as the date she had at the tender age of 16 that it ended in such trauma, but it was bad enough. That was the last time she ever gone out with a man on a date. But Boone wasn't angry. In fact, he looked pleased rather than offended at her lack of response. He moved through his hand and traced her swollen lips with it. Well, he explained softly and he smiled. She was worried. You aren't? 
Mad? He shook his virgin's knee, gentle handling. He whispered and bent to kiss her tenderly when she blushed. When he drew back, his expression was solemn and gentle. He smoothed over her hair, touched her cheek, her mouth, her chin. When are you going to be twenty? He asked after a minute. Chris, Christmas Eve? She stammered. Christmas Eve and four months. He kissed her eyelids closed, smiling against him. We'll have to do something very special for your birthday. We? Oh, you mean when Aunt Clark and you? He lifted his hands and said, Why wouldn't you think I meant just you and me? He cued. There's Misty, she reminded him. He frowned as if he didn't know who she was talking about. The magic seemed to slip away. He withdrew his hands and became aloof. Misty, he repeated. The magic drained out of the night. He became the distant stranger, the aloof man of the past. At that moment, he looked as if he never considered touching Keeley. She wrapped her arms around herself against the chill that didn't come from the night. It's getting cool, she said, trying to sound nonchalant. Yes, it is. He moved away from her, deep in thought. He paused, opened the door for her. She went through it without looking up. She said nothing. He said nothing. She went to the refreshment table and got a small cup of soda, sat down with it over against the wall. She watched Boone stop at a group of cattlemen and stand, started talking to him. Her eyes darted around to see if Clark had returned. She glanced toward the group of cattlemen again. Boone was gone. She didn't see him again. Clark picked her up. He looked disheveled and out of source. The pearls were the wrong color, he said to she wanted pink ones. I got gray ones. I'm sorry, he glanced at her grimace. I hate leaving you there alone. He confessed. I'm really sorry. I won't do it again. It was all right, she said. I like the music. You're the nicest friend I've ever had, he said. But you shouldn't let me take advantage of you like this. She laughed. Okay. He gave her a recognition. Good girl. What's our next project? He said. I really don't know. I'll let you know when she decides if she wants to see me again. She will, she said with conviction. We'll see. Dr. Ryder was raising more hell than usual when Kelly went into work the next morning. I told you to record that low-fat dog food last week. He was raging at their newest clerk, Antonio. But I did, Dr. Ryder, she said near tears. They had it on back order. He made her house a rude sound. And I suppose the urn containing Mrs. Rudolph's old cat is also on back order. He added sarcastically. Antonio was red by this time. No, sir, I forgot to check on it is all. I'm sorry, she added quickly. Didn't make any difference. He stood in front of her and glared. She burst into tears and ran into the back. Oh, nice job, doctor. Her <laughs> scully, Dr. Patsy King, muttered. She'll quit and we'll have to break in yet another clerk. How many is that so far this year? Let me think. Six, isn't it? She added with much sarcasm as she could muster. Bentley glared at her. Four. <laughs> oh, only four, she rolled her eyes. That makes me feel better. Don't you have a patient waiting, Dr. King? He trolled eyes flashing. She said, yes, I do. Thank God. But I came out here to get our clerk to schedule her next appointment. I suppose I'll be doing that myself. She looked pointedly toward the back where Antonio was horribly sobbing. He cursed. She made a face. Oh, like that's gonna help. She grumbled. She sat down in Antonio's chair, used the computer to schedule the next visitor. Visit for her patient while she was at it. She added up the charges and pointed out a sheet, listing them. I can help you do. I can help you do. Do that, Keely. No, you could not, Dr. Rummer. I need you to help with examinations, and I'm making appointments. Speaking of which, Keely, could you carry this dog out to Mrs. Reynolds' car for her? Dr. King asked and smiled. Of course, Keely answered at once and walked off with Dr. King leaving a few and Dr. Reynolds behind. 
After that morning, it was open war between the two senior veterinarians in the practice. Dr. King was three years younger than Dr. Riddle, married with two children, and she needed her job. But she threatened to leave if he didn't stop using the clerks for target practice. Keely, the senior vet tech, and the other veterinarian, Dr. Dave Mercer, tried to keep out of Dr. Riddle's way in, until his temper improved. Nobody knew what had set him off, but he was like a prize fighter walking down the street wearing boxing gloves. He was spoiling for a fight. It was a relief for Keely when the work week was over and she could get out get away from the tension. She was still mooning over Boone and reliving the tender kisses he shared with her on the patio of the community center. She didn't understand his behavior at all. Everything had been fine until she mentioned Misty. Then he withdrew as if he felt guilty about touching Keely. He left the dance rather than risk having to talk to her again. Worse, people were gossiping about the two of them. Tess started to tease her about going out on the patio with Boone and coming back inside flush. She mentioned it to Cag. Probably he told his brothers and they told other people, so Keely got teased when she went to to the grocery store because one of the checkout girls had a boyfriend on the Hart Ranch properties. Then she got teased at the bank because one of the tellers was married to Cag Hark's livestock foreman. That teller's married daughter worked at the 911 center with Winnie. You and Boone are the talk of the town, did you know? Winnie teased her friend when they had lunch together at Barbara's Cafe that Saturday. Boone's going to kill me. Keyless and Clark's probably going to want to kill me too when he realizes that Boone knows what he's up to. Oh, Boone always knows when he said he's like, Clark can never hide anything from him or from me. But just between us two, I don't think this Nelly thing is going to be very much further. She got mad because Clark gave her the wrong colored pearls. That after he'd given her most of a jewelry store? Dealing for it. And it turns out that she's marrying. What? Keely explained, does Clark know? <laughs> that and more. When he said, when I left home, Boone was presenting our brother with a thick file on Miss Nellie Summers. He said Clark wasn't leaving the house until he read every sort of detail. Poor Clark, when he chuckled. He was custom mad after he read the first page, he said. He wouldn't have believed it even two weeks ago, but apparently Boone picked just the right time to tell him the truth. I'm glad, she confessed. I was putting, it was putting me right in the middle being used as Clark's cover. Clark shouldn't have done that. Boone was angry. He said Clark had no right to use you that way. Clark's my friend. I could have said no, Keeley said something. You never say no to anyone, Rennie replied concerned. You're too good to be two people, Keeley. You won't stand up to, for yourself. I'm trying. Clark walks all over you, so does Boone. I'll bet Dr. Rydell does, too. Dr. Rydell walks all over everybody, Keely pointed out. Well, you do have a point there. She sipped coffee, and then her eyes began to... So what was going on with you and my brother at the dance? Not you, too, Keely. Well, I'm your best friend. You have to tell me. Keely put her best friend... Her best plan expression. He wanted to talk to me about Clark without everybody eavesdropping. But he's faithful. Was that all? What else would there be? Keely replied. You know Boone can't stand me. Usually ignores me. But he knew Clark was up to something. Then that I was helping him. He got it out of me. <laughs> He's good at that. He's good at that when he had admit. They used to let him interrogate people when he was in the military. She told with a coffee cup. He's changed so much since he came back from overseas. He used to be a happy sort of person. He's not happy now. She looked up. He goes out with Misty, but he never touches her. Keely's hard job. How do you know? He never picks up anything, she said with affection. He just leaves his clothes lying around in his room. I gathered them up and put them in the hamper for Miss Johnson. There are never any lipstick stains on his shirts. She paused her lips. Pers well, that's not quite true. Last Saturday night, there was quite a few lipstick stains 
on his collar. Keely's face flamed when he laughed triumphantly. Keely knew that Winnie would go straight to Boone and tease him if she guessed what had happened. She couldn't let her friend know for sure. Boone were teased about Keely at home. It would all be over before that time to be in. No wonder he's been like a scalded snake all week when he mused watching Keely closely. And he hasn't even called Misty. Odd, isn't it? Just slow down, if you please. I danced with them, Keely Mo. Of course, I got lipstick on his collar. When he's happy, mood slowly drained from mouth. Are you sure that's all? Keely gave her friends to me. Boot can't stand me. He was just trying to find out why Clark and I had gone to a dance and Clark was missing. Oh, fish and chips. When he muttered, Excuse me. When he shifted, Good lord. I'm catching Haynes Carson tonight. His chicks like, what? Haynes Carson doesn't curse, curse like a normal man. He says things like crackers and milk and fish and chips. It rubs off on you when you're around him. What are you doing hobnobbing with Haynes Carson? Keely asked. On the radio. Oh, right. He's not bad looking when he moves. And he's much friendlier than Killraven. I should really set my cap at him. You'd break Kill Raven's heart, Keely teased when he wrinkled her nose. Like he'd notice if I flirted with another man, she said shortly. He's trying boots tactics. He ignores me. He's probably just busy. When he toyed with her nappy. Men are not worth the trouble they cause, she said irritably. Keely laughed. No, she agreed. They aren't. And don't we both lie well? When he retorted, Keely nodded. The little cafe was crowded for a Saturday, mostly with tourists trying to enjoy the last fleeting days of August. Jacobsville had an annual annual rodeo that drew crowds because it attracted some of the stars of the circuit. The prize money wasn't bad either. There were a lot of cars without a state tags, when he remembered. I guess it's the rodeo that draws him. I was just thinking about the rodeo, Keely chuckled. Great minds running in the same direction. Exactly. I think when his voice broke off, she was staring at the front door helplessly. Keely glanced toward the entrance, killed Raven. Still in uniform, was standing just inside the door. He really was hunky, Keely thought. Tall, handsome, and elegant, with silver eyes and thick black hair. He was muscular without it being blatant. Excuse me, he called in a deep voice. Is anyone here driving a red SUV with Oklahoma plates? A young man in jeans and Cambridge shirt races in. Yes, I am, he called. Anything wrong, officer? Go direct to, to his table, spotted winning Keely, and nodded politely before he stood over the man. Did you pick up a deer from the side of the road, sir? He asked. The young man laughed. Yes, I did. It was just killed by a car, I think, because it was still warm and limp when I picked it up. Smiled. I was only going to take it home and cut it up from my freezer. Did I do something wrong? Kilburn clear, sir. You might want to call your insurance agent. The young man looked blank. Why? The deer wasn't dead. Wasn't dead, he nodded. And it left the vehicle rather suddenly through your windshield. The young man was still nodding. Through the windshield, he said. Through my windshield in my brand new truck. Ah! He jumped up, overbalancing his chair so that it fell. He almost trampled a couple getting out the door. His scream of dismay could be heard even with the door closed. Kill Raven shook his head as he paused beside Winnie. The deer was just stunned. He said with faint amusement in his silver eyes. We had a man back make that same mistake about six months ago during hunting season, but unfortunately for him, the deer came too before he could lift it into his truck. Outside the cafe, the screams were getting louder. Gil Raven glanced outside the truck. He'll want a report for his insurance agency. I better go ride him up. Have they found McCrady yet? When he asked with a draw and a grin, Gil Raven groaned. <laughs> he serviced over in Baxter County about five 
yesterday afternoon trailing 40 cars in a funeral procession. They were supposed to be headed for a cemetery in Commercial Wells, where they were due at 3 o'clock. Yeah, because Keeley was looking puzzled. He did finally get them to the right church after several cars stopped to get gas. That's twice this month. They should ne never let McGreedy lead a funeral procession when he pointed out. Go, Remington. I told Ames Carson the same thing, but he says McGreedy will never learn self-confidence if he pulls him off public service details now. Doesn't he have a map? Keely wanted to know. <laughs> if he does, he can't ever find it. Kilburn said was that he let the last funeral procession down into a bog near the river and the hearse got stuck. He laughed. It's funny now, but nobody was laughing at the time. They had to get a tow truck to haul everybody out. <laughs> he should cut his losses and put McGrady on administrative duties when he said... Big mistake. Haynes put him in charge of the jail month before last, and he let a prisoner out to use the bathroom, forgot to lock him up again. The prisoner robbed the bank while he was temporarily liberated. He shook his head. I don't think McGreedy's cut out for a career in law enforcement. Yes, but his father does, when he reminded him. His father was a career state trooper, Gilroy told Keeley. He insists that his son was to follow in his footsteps. Haynes Carson is our sheriff, Kelly said of McGreedy. A sheriff's deputy. <sighs> yes, well, McCready started out working as a state trooper when he began. Kilburn was chuckling again. And then he pulled over an undercover drug unit in their van just as they were speeding up to stop a huge shipment of cocaine. They'd been working the case for weeks. The drug dealers got away with McCready was citing the drug agents for a burned-out taillight. McCready's dad did manage to save him from the guys in the drug unit, but he was invited to practice his craft somewhere else. So Haynes Carson got him when he continued. Haynes is his second cousin. Sheriff Carson could have said no, Keeley replied. You don't say no to McCready's father, Kilraven retorted. At least he's learning all the back roads. Finney said philosophically, Kilraven grinned at her. The look lasted just a second too long to be conventional. And when his delicate skin took on a pretty flush. Where's my rifle? Came a bell from the parking lot. Somebody stole my rifle. Kilraven glanced out the window. The young fellow who owned the red SUV was running around the street with a rifle in the general direction that, his, that the escaped deer had gone. The gun's owner was jumping up and down in his rage and yelling threats after the deer hunter. I'd better go save the deer hunter. Kilraven I hope he has an understanding insurance agent, Killy Moose, and a good lawyer. Stealing rifles is a felony. Kilrave nodded at him and went striding out the door. Well, Keeley teased off, and you don't think he likes you. When his expression was so joyful that Keeley invaded her. Invaded her. End of chapter 8.